Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and welcome to another episode of the Make Motherhood Diverse podcast. I am your host, Remy Sade. Um, I just want to open up the episode by saying that uh, last week on the 15th of March, 50 people were killed in a terrorist attack. Um, and so this episode is being recorded bearing them in mind and from everyone here at MMD our thoughts and prayers go out to all of the victims and people affected by the attack. Because of everything that has happened over the past week and the fact that there has been um, quite a lot of outrage, quite rightly so as well, um, I wanted to take the opportunity to continue that conversation a little bit surrounding um, Muslim people and of course in terms of make motherhood diverse Muslim mothers um, because it is another um, voice and they are another minority whose voices aren't represented as much as some others within this um, community. So I actually found a really 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 interesting uh, woman today when I was doing some research Um, and I literally just stumbled on an article and then kind of went down a bit of a research rabbit hole from there. Um, So I found about the story of a woman called Wad Al-Khatib and she is a mother. Quite interestingly, she is a mother who lived through and documented from 2011 to the end of 2016 the civil war in Syria. So when the war began, she was a student, uh, I think she was studying journalism, um, and then by the time the war ended, she was a mum of one. Um, so I'm just going to tell you a bit about her and her story and how it came about, because I think it's, it's absolutely mind-blowing. So her documentary is called For Summer, which is the name of her daughter, Um and she was awarded Best Documentary by the Jury Awards for 2019. Um, and her film also debuted at South by Southwest. Um, but she's kind of been known for a while because even while she was living in Syria, currently she doesn't, but while she was living in Syria, she actually was commissioned to produce a four-part um, documentary series for Channel 4. So what it is, what her story is, is that Um, she started filming everything that was happening in East Aleppo. Um, For those of you who don't know, East Aleppo is um, a part of one of the main cities that was under siege during the Syrian civil war by um, both the opposition and government. And so what they were doing was almost shutting down most of the, the roads and entry and exit points into the city. It was a really hard city to get into. Um, however, uh, Wad wanted to document what it was like to live, really live through a war. Um, and she documented it in the style of an open feature length letter to her daughter. Um, she lived with her husband and quite interestingly, her husband created a hospital before they got married, which ended up being the last surviving hospital in East Aleppo. But that also made him a target um, by uh, a lot of the military and armed forces because um, they were helping people. Um, some of the things that featured in this documentary were um, seeing children's carcass, um, not carcasses, sorry, corpses um, strewn across the roads. Um, 
Another thing to note is that she said to her daughter, you don't cry like a normal baby. And she was concerned about the effects of raising her in an active war, war zone. Um, the Hollywood Reporter said that this film is not easy watching because of the, I guess, harrowing scenes that you see. But at the same time, I think that it's important that she did this. And I think it's beyond brave. It's it's be, it's beyond that. And, and I think it's more of an instinctive thing that she had of, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. And in fact, she's quoted as saying um, the reason that she created this film was for her daughter to see what I fought for in case I don't survive. I don't know if I can protect you. I don't know if you can forgive me. Um, and some of the things that you see when you watch this film are sandbags on their windows to protect them from bomb shrapnel. Um, and to to kind of put that into context, there's, there's a scene in a film where a baby is delivered by cesarean section by her husband and his team um, from a mother who was um, caught in a crossfire and actually bomb shrapnel got on her. And they delivered the baby because they thought she was going to die. And the baby seemed to be dead when it was born and it wasn't, thank goodness. Um, but the mum was severely, severely injured. Um, and that is just the reality of the environment that she was raising her child in. Um, and the reason that she said also she wanted to do this was because the um, outside mainstream media didn't have any um, didn't have any real footage or, or or real interaction with the citizens of East Aleppo um, because they were being oppressed. Um, and so she decided to make this film just in case, really. Um, and she is a really well-regarded citizen journalist because of what she lived through. Uh, I personally couldn't imagine what it must have been like for her. Um, but she and her husband decided to stay because they felt like it was their duty. Um, also, the city was their home and they didn't want to leave. Um, and she felt as though if she had left, it would almost be as though they're winning. Um, and so she didn't want to do that. However, in December 2016, her and her family ended up having to leave Syria because because her husband basically became a target, uh, a bigger target than he already was. And he was given two options, what, which were to um, go into exile or um, to be held in captive. So obviously they chose to leave. And um, she was able to come to the UK because she had previously worked with Channel 4 on her documentary before. And then I think now she's in the US somewhere um, and she's since then had another child. Um, but yeah, if you can find out anything about this lady or, or engage with any of her, her projects and share the word and spread the word, um, I think, you know, giving um, documentaries like this a platform to be seen really helps to put into context what is happening in the world. I think that sometimes as people... Um, it's easy for us to be oblivious to things that don't affect us. And that is our privilege, especially living somewhere like in the UK. However, there are things like this that are happening um, and people's children are being left to fend for themselves. Um, also, you know, people are targeted because they are a minority. Um, 
when there's nothing wrong with that and they didn't choose to be and so I think that we all as people have a slight responsibility to each other because when it comes too close to home that tends to be more so when we we, we um I guess you could say when we take notice but I don't think it should be when it affects us that we take notice I think it's when it's happening that's when we should take notice um and I'm so so glad that I found her story and I was able to share it with all of you if you'd like to find out any more details or even just to look at some shorter clips because this is a full-length film um there is a website called insidealepo.com and that is a website that was created um by her before she released this film when she had just done the documentaries for channel four um, and some of the footage is still up there and available for you to view um it's not easy to watch but I think that um, because it's not easy to watch and because she didn't record anything and romanticise it, it allows you to see a realistic and um, horrifying but realistic example of what other people are going through in the world. Um, because if, if it doesn't ignite some kind of feeling in you, um, then I don't know what's going on. So yeah, um, I hope that you enjoyed hearing about her. I think she's absolutely incredible. Um and the more people who know about her, the better. I am sitting down this episode with a mum who is Muslim. And we sat down and we spoke about what it was like to raise a Muslim family in this day and age. And how that works in terms of um, communicating with your children. And, uh, you know, the age old argument of religion versus culture and and which one she chooses to um i guess take take on more in certain situations um i really appreciate her for sitting down talking to me and i hope that you enjoy our chat as always i will catch you on the other side i am sitting down with samia can you say hello hi um thank you so much for sitting down to talk to me um, of course, the reason that I asked you to be a guest on this episode was because of the recent terrorist attack in New Zealand, Christchurch. Um, and for those of you who don't know, very briefly, I will say, um, a white supremacist went into a mosque and shot members of the congregation. It's, do you guys call? The congregation, yeah. Do you call, call yeah, people, call the worshippers congregation? Yeah, yeah. yeah, shot 15 Especially members. for the Friday prayer. Yeah, mm-hmm. shot. So, yeah, and it was Friday prayer, which is... Is that like the most sacred yeah. prayer for it's Muslim like our, people? Yeah, so it's like our kind of the blessed day. Okay, and that Friday. happens all over the world at the same time every Friday? Every Friday, same sort of time, Okay, all over the world. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's basically really tragic, but I noticed that a lot of people on social media and just in general were like reposting hashtags and memes and pictures and saying how bad it was and writing things. And I did too. And I think that that is important. But I also think that um, it's very common when we have tragedies that people will have that kind of rhetoric and then the news cycle changes and then the things that people are focused on changes. But you are a Muslim hijabi woman. And so you're Muslim every day. So I wanted to talk to you about what it's like being being a, a woman of the Islamic faith and raising your family, especially when things like this come up, like how do you feel or handle it? Well, well, it was actually quite scary. It was quite 
shocking actually to be honest mm-hmm. and yeah I've got three children so my eldest is nine <clears throat> so he was quite aware of everything that was happening and stuff because obviously they, dis- they discuss it in school so it happened on a Friday yeah. and you know he must have heard about it through school and then you have a weekend to kind of talk over it and stuff and he he's asking me questions like you know why did it happen did, how did they know that um they were going to be all going to be in the mosque at that time and like he goes to the mosque sometimes with his dad so i think it kind of scared him a little bit as well mm-hmm. and i had to make him see that Do you know what this isn't something that happens on a daily basis mm-hmm. you know um but it's hard to explain to them kind of where you can be safe because they do think that when they go into a mosque, they're going to do their prayers and they're safe. Like all those men in New Zealand, when they were going for men and women, because there were yeah. a few women as well, they went into that mosque, they had no idea. You walk into a mosque, it's like walking into a church. You're going into a church, you feel safe. Same thing with a mosque. And explaining that to my nine-year-old, that, you know, this is something that doesn't happen all the time, but, you know, it is very tragic. It, it was a bit hard, but I didn't want to put it in such an... I didn't want to put such a negative twist on it for him. Mm-hmm. It is a very negative thing. But for me, I wanted to make him feel safe and secure. But sometimes I myself find that really hard to do. Mm. Like when things like this happen, how do you explain that to a child? I was going to say, being being a, a mum is, you know, it has its own challenges. Mm. But being a mum and then being a mum who is Muslim, do you feel like because of the current, I guess, climate in general, it might affect how much of his innocence you can, like, protect. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard one because you try, you want to protect them, you want to kind of, like, I want them to still, I don't want them to have fear when they're going out. Like, I've only started recently wearing my hijab over the last couple of years properly again i did wear it a few times i took it off wore it a few times but i've been quite firm with it within the last like couple of years i'd say but i think if my daughter started wearing it now i'd actually feel a bit scared really yeah i would because i know of things that happen like women having their hijab ripped off and like i've never really had any really bad abuse but a couple of months ago, I was in Oxford Circus Central. I used to go to university there. Never had any fear. Never. I was walking, just randomly walking across the crossroads where you know the H and M, that big crossroad, Oxford yeah. Circus. Mm-hmm. And someone shouted out. It was a drunk white man, mm-hmm. and I could tell he was drunk because you can smell the alcohol on him straight away. And he shouted out, "Go back to your country. Go back to where you belong." Wow. And generally, I'm quite a. Uh, I'm not a strong, strong person, but I would mm. just let that brush over my shoulders, kind of like, okay, yeah, you know, whatever, he's drunk, shut up, kind of. But that day, I was a little bit shook because I was like, hang on a second, this has never really happened to me. And for me, I'd feel scared if that happened to my daughter because I'm an adult, I can handle that. Mm. But if she was younger, she's only six, she's not going to start wearing the hijab and that now. Mm-hmm. But just the thought of it, that when she does get older, how am I, I can't tell her to not wear it because... If she, the thing is, I'm, she's still going to be given the choice to wear it on. That's entirely up to her. Mm-hmm. But if she chooses to wear it, I would still be scared because of everything that happens, like in the world. That like, I was reading, I think was it on your post about you saying that a friend of yours who used to go to work on a tube every day. Yeah, a, a uni. So actually, she wasn't work at all. So um, I wrote a post on my social media, and one of the things that I said was sometimes the 
acts of prejudice could be things like Christchurch, which yeah. is obviously really harrowing, but sometimes it can be the after effects of that. Yeah. And for a friend of mine that I used to go to university with a few years ago, um, I can't remember something had happened. Oh, it was so it was around the time that that guy had driven on London Bridge. Yeah, there was there was a taxi. Yeah, so yeah, it was like yeah. two, three years ago, I think. Yeah. Um. So anyway, we were going towards the underground, and she said to me the underground gives her like major anxiety. Yeah. And I I just noticed that she seemed a bit like uncomfortable, and she was like, "Oh my god, stand back from the yeah, like closer to the edge." And I was like, "Why?" And she was like, "Cause I'm scared every day that someone will come and push me push in the me tracks." Up. And I was like. At first, I was just like, what? Why? And then she was like, because I'm Muslim. And she was yeah. like, especially when um, extremists do certain things. She's like, the after effects on, like, yeah. real Muslim people, those are her words. Those are her words. But she said, you know, no, the after effects I on totally real Muslim agree. people um, are that there's, she said, there's mo usually more, like, um, Islamophobic attacks. Yeah after something like that has happened mm. and that was around that time so yeah. she was very aware of it and very nervous mm. and she know i think she knew someone personally who'd had their hijab pulled yeah. not necessarily pulled off but like pulled up upon like somebody come into her personal yeah. space so she was yeah she was really really aware of it it is and i've got friends who actually cover their face their veil and stuff so they cover with the whole abaya the hijab on their head mm -hmm. you know the long cloak thing and they veil a lot of them and some of them actually when they go into central london or maybe even different parts of the uk mm -hmm. like up north in england and stuff scotland somewhere kind of like you know just out of london like i said but even within central london they don't wear their veil because they're scared they're scared. Really? Yeah, they don't wear their veil because they're scared. And these are friends of mine who are quite strict in terms of like religion and covering their face and stuff. You know, they do it because... I was about to ask you because the veil is like significance of marriage and other things or no? No, not really. Okay. It's, yeah, no, not really significance of marriage. Okay. It's just like some people believe that you have to cover your face. It's part of thing. And some people believe that you just have to cover your hair. My family are obviously... Some of them are Muslim, yeah. but in, in our family, only married women wear the veil. Yeah. I so I assume. Yeah, yeah. That I think it was sometimes that, that can be a cultural, a cultural thing. Cultural aspect is kind of put into a religious kind of um, text, kind of. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Kind of sometimes culture does implement its way into religion. It happens within our Asian culture all the time, to mm -hmm. be honest. They make things that are cultural religious when they're actually not religious. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do you find it raising a Muslim family? Because obviously your culture is very important. Yeah. Um, but with a religion like Islam, there are certain practices that are equally as important. So how do you, like, work that all in? So... I think, you know, nowadays, kind of like our generation, so like I'm in my 30s, I'm in my 30s, but our religion is a little bit more educated, so we don't confuse culture and religion as much as, say, like my parents did. So we're a lot more aware of things that are cultural and things that are religious. And for me, religion is more important than culture. Okay. Obviously, I do like my culture. Like, I, Obviously, I want my kids to know about their heritage. Like, just yesterday, my son asked me, can you teach me how to speak Gujarati? And oh. I was like, okay. I was like, where did that come out from, kind of? But... Like, it was literally like a two-second conversation and then he was like, because I want to know when you talk about me. That's oh. why I'm you know. But like I said, culture for me is important as in I'm an Indian woman. I want my children to know that they're Indian, they're, they're British, they're Indian, their heritage is from India. I want them to be proud of that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I want them to be, for me, it's more important religion. I want them to be more proud to be a Muslim. And I feel like, you know, Islam teaches children 
like my kids go to mosque and stuff and they learn so many good things like they'll one of my daughter's friends she's six years old and her mum was telling me that just a couple of weeks ago that somebody went up to her and said to her you're not a christian you're gonna go to hell oh, wow. six years old okay six years old so and then she said to me and your daughter went up to her so my daughter went up mm -hmm. to her and said to her no children do not go to hell she goes it doesn't Aww. matter what religion you are we have to respect everybody my teacher her mosque teacher and my parents like my mom and dad say to me that we have to be kind to everybody everybody has to be kind to everybody nobody is going to the fire nobody's going to oh, hell goodness. and she said she came up to me that parent she said to me it was so nice because her daughter felt so comforted by that mm. and it made me proud because that was a religious thing that had been implanted into my daughter at mosque so it's not what always what the media portrays you know like the strictness of you know going into a mosque and they're teaching them all this really strict religious islamic thing they teach them everything they teach them just to be basic good people it's not only being a good muslim it's teaching them general etiquette kind of how to treat people how to be kind how to look after you know it's all of that as well what do you think the biggest misconception about muslims is or islam is that women are they don't have a status i think that is a very big thing for me mm -hmm. because a lot of people think that women are the what's the word like inferior inferior to men which is the total opposite to what islam actually um the message that it actually gives out and what it thing but that for me is really thing because women have a really high status in islam so one of the things they say is that um heaven is under the feet of a mother yeah. that's the status that she has that heaven lies under her feet and there's a, a story where somebody asked the prophet and he said they asked him like you know who should i you know who should i respect the most kind of like in everyone and he said your mother and then he goes and then second and then he said your mother again and he asked the third time he goes your mother again and then the third time he said your father oh the fourth time the fourth time yeah yeah sorry the fourth time he said your father mm -hmm. you might know that story so it gives women such an elevated status and i think you know this whole oh women are allowed to go to work women can't do this they have to wear hijab they have to do all of these things all of that is portrayed by a lot of media that isn't how our religion really is. That like, we go out to work. I go out to work. I go to events. I do loads mm. of socialising. My religion does not stop me in any way. Mm -hmm. And I think the misconception is that it does. Do there you are think some that... restrictions? But I was about not... to say. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Do you think that some of the restrictions that people might assume are faith based might actually come from people's personal choices Definitely. or culture, but because it all how do I put it? It all kind of ties into one another because it's, you know, yeah. each person's experience. Do you think that that's got something to do with it as well? Yeah, definitely. I think everyone's different. Like for me, I could go to an event where they were serving alcohol and stuff. For me, it's not a problem because I live in the UK. You know, it's all around. My friends, a lot of my friends aren't Muslim, so they drink and stuff like It's very different, whereas some women wouldn't find that comfortable. And they wouldn't go to events where there were where there was alcohol served, or even restaurants, to be honest. And you know what? That's fine. That's their opinion. That's up to them. But for me, I don't see it as such a big problem. Like I wouldn't go to a rave or something because <laughs> yeah. first of all, I think I'm too old for that. <laughs> but secondly, it's yeah. I think it's just everyone has a different opinion on stuff like that, and just 
maybe like as I know sometimes I probably get people looking at my social media and thinking oh yeah you know I'm going out there's alcohol at these places you know but that doesn't mean I'm drinking it not not yeah. only being a muslim if you could be anybody I've got friends who aren't muslim that don't drink at all yeah do you get it mm-hmm. so it's not it's a personal thing I think what advice would you give to other muslim parents about how to speak to their children about what's happening in the world and about how to raise their children bearing these things in mind as you have to. Mm. I think first of all, you just need to teach your children to just be respectful in general of regardless of culture, race, colour, religion, all of that. First of all, you need to teach your children that we are all the same. We are all part of one. We all came from Adam and Eve. We are all part of one. Children need to be aware of that. They don't need to have this where, you know, you don't um integrate. You don't integrate, yeah. They don't need to have they don't need to know about their children. You know what? We feed our children all this information. So it's important for us to feed feed it to them in the correct way. And you need to teach your children to for me, I really do think it's about educating them that our religion is very peaceful and like you need to show this to like your peers like mm. your friends you know like i can't explain it i'm sorry i'm not doing a very good job here no it's fine people <laughs> it's, get nervous you're just getting yeah, tongue-tied you're getting a bit tongue-tied <laughs> no 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 it's fine it's but, fine um, but do you so how do i put it do you think that being a Muslim parent means that you have to do certain things to, I guess, discuss or communicate with your child about the way the world and religion and and the kind of current climate around those things because of things like Christchurch and like the fact that you said, of course, your son is aware Mm. of what happened and, and he is aware of the significance of a Friday prayer and the fact that that's where it happened and you know that like so do you feel like it's um or do you have any advice in general just around those kind of things in addition to just raising a family I think you know what you have to talk to your children about it because it is in the media it is everywhere it's in the papers it's on the internet the kids use all these things you know even like children talking about things so I think it's important that they need to know the positive kind of they, they need to be reinforced positively that, you know what, it's, you know, our religion isn't, they weren't targeted because they weren't, well, they were targeted because they were Muslim. Yeah. But they weren't, you know, it's it's not a bad thing you, to be a Muslim, kind of like, you know, not all Muslims, like, are part of, you know, extremist groups and stuff, you know, and like I said. Do you talk to your children about that too? Yeah, we have to because you hear words like terrorists and stuff, like, my husband's got a beard. And sometimes mm-hmm. he'll be stopped when we go to airports and stuff and you'll get someone shout terrorists or something stupid like that. And like, yeah, it happens all the time. Like we're not, I'm not a very strict, like, I don't want to say I don't want a strict Muslim because I am a practicing Muslim, but we're not kind of, we're not sheltered from the outside world. That's what I'm trying to say, I think. But yeah, I think you need to educate your children as well why these things are happening and you need to reassure them that it's hard to do because 
like for me i'm finding it really difficult to say to my children you know don't worry you are safe you know just because you're muslim it doesn't mean it's att attacks are going to happen to you and that that is really hard because they see it they know it's happening to muslims and they know it's happening because they are muslim and mm. I, I do find it quite difficult to discuss it but i feel like i do need to address it with them because i don't want them to have that fear of being a muslim and do you have anything that like what what is the kind of what are the kind of things that you would want people who aren't muslim to know about muslim people or mums who aren't muslim or families who just just in general is there anything that you would want a non-muslim person of any kind of position yeah. in their life to know about muslim people do you, do you know what? a lot of us are very open and even like i do get this sometimes because i wear a hijab i'll people will kind of like keep their distance from me because they might think that I've got certain views or you know I might not want my children to integrate with their children and you know sometimes just because of wearing that one hijab it gives people a different impression of me but then I open my mouth and I'll start talking and people have a totally different they're just like oh you know you're really nice you know oh yeah maybe we should arrange a play date blah 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 so you, d you don't ever know until you speak to somebody so don't let the hijab the veil don't let stuff like that get in your way don't and don't let it stop you as a muslim woman integrating with society with your community muslim or not regardless don't let it stop you doing things don't let it stop you going back to work don't let it stop you having a life basically or your children having a life let them see that being a muslim you can still have a life mm. you can still socialize you can still go out and be a good muslim mm. that is very important actually it is very um, important and we spoke before we started recording because i was being nosy i did ask um obviously you um don't live what some people would stereotypically expect for a muslim woman to live like and obviously like you said you're an indian woman as well um do you from your own community or your own culture ever experience not even backlash because that makes it sound very negative but do you experience a difference in opinions sometimes yeah definitely i think that's with everyone though to yeah. be honest like i am a lot more outgoing and stuff and i do do a lot of events on like social media and stuff and you know i really enjoy doing it and you might get the odd person here and there saying kind of like oh you know why are you going to these events or what are you doing there and you know is it sort of islamically appropriate i've still got my hijab on yeah i'm still covering I'm not drinking, I'm not doing anything else that I shouldn't be doing, but it's not going to stop me socialising. So you do... I don't get it as much, I think, because like I said, our community is changing within, not all of them, but the younger generation are kind of a bit more open-minded than the older generation, so like our parents and maybe sort of like grandparents and stuff. How do you deal with those comments? Like, do you just like kind of let it wash over you? Are you of the school of thought? Like if people in my house, i.e. me and my husband have a problem with it, then I don't want to talk about it. Like, yeah. do you, what's your way of like not really letting it get to you? If it's like events and stuff like this, I just don't let it get to me because I'm like, do you know what? This is my life. What I choose to do with it is up to me. Mm -hmm. Whether it's nobody else's, I, stuff like that, I don't take people's opinions over. But if it's something like a little bit more detailed kind of, I do sometimes, I'm a little bit hesitant sometimes to post things because I feel, oh my God, you know, am I going to 
um, trigger something off within the community or something like in terms of like mental health say for example if I put a post about mental health is somebody going to come up to me and say to me well I've had this before oh are you suffering from depression or something just kind of promote do you get it mm -hmm. that sort of stuff um, why do you choose to talk about things like that on your platform because I feel it's important we have to do it I did go through a bout of depression, so I suffered through like postnatal depression when I lost my first child, and it took me nearly ten years to openly speak about it mm. with a group of women. Ten years—that's a long mm. time to hold on to stuff. Yeah, of course. A very long time. And you know what? When I sat in that room, it was at the Labella Loves Tea for Yeah, the first time I met, met you. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first time. And you know what? When I went to that event, I told Joe specifically, I don't want to talk about it. I'm too scared to talk about it. And then I just opened up. And you know, since that day, I felt like, you know what? I opened up and I had so many women approach me after say, oh, I'm so glad that you spoke about it. I found it very hard. Not only Muslim Asian women, mm -hmm. just women in general. Oh, you know, like culture is very similar, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like we were talking about. So I think it's really important to discuss all these things because a lot of people are going through it but they can't deal with it because they don't know how to. Or they're ashamed of it. There's nothing to be ashamed yeah. of. There is nothing to be ashamed mm -hmm. of. I'm not ashamed to even wear my hijab anymore. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like that's changed, like within your own self and your self-esteem, yeah. do you feel like that's changed? Something's clicked for you? Yeah, I think... I think the support from other women that I've got has really helped me mm -hmm. and kind of like kind of framed who I am now and what I'm doing now that like I don't feel as ashamed sometimes I'm a little bit hesitant to post certain things but then I think to myself do you know what if you don't talk about it then how are other women gonna know like I get so many private messages saying to me oh you know I'm going through this can you help me blah 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 mm -hmm. blah can you redirect me to what path you took when it happened to you and there's things that happened to me that, were, like I said, weren't discussed for 10 years. And then after, when I started discussing it, it was like, oh my God, it happened to me, it happened to me. How did you deal with it? I didn't deal with it. Okay, so there's a lot of, like, hushed conversations. Yes, a lot of that. And I'm trying to kind of open up those doors. And it doesn't mean that they have to talk about it openly, but you know what, go out there, get help, know that there are other women or even other men going through similar things, because men suffer through mental health depression and stuff like that as well. Very true. Very, very and it's true. only recently our community actually did an event on mental health awareness. And, and your community is? A very tight, cultured, religious <laughs> community. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, they do a lot of positive things, but there are some... Private. Yeah. You guys are a little bit more reserved and private. Yeah, so some of them are a little bit more reserved and private. They do. And that's fine. That is absolutely fine. But you have to discuss certain things mm -hmm. because it can stop things like you know like things like suicide or like drugs and stuff like it can prevent a lot of that if you talk about it so this mental health when when we actually first got the initial poster for it it was all like oh gosh and one of my friends actually said to me oh wow this is going to cause a stir in the community <laughs> and i was like i hope it's going to cause a good stir because it needs to be spoken about and mm. you know what the attendance was so good for that event it was that like, sold out how did you feel seeing your community embrace the idea that mental health is something that needs that kind of attention? Oh my gosh, it is. I felt so good because I felt like I could have done with a lot more support back when I needed the support, mm. kind of. Like, I got therapy and I got counselling and stuff, and I wouldn't even normally admit this yeah. on a podcast, but you know what? <laughs> I'm not ashamed to admit it now because I needed the help. Obviously, my faith will always be my backbone. Mm -hmm. So for me, faith is my backbone because I'm a practicing Muslim and 
my faith sees me through a lot of my hardships it really does but we're human still we still need that we still need that help from outside sometimes from professionals and that to help guide us so getting therapy and counseling nothing to be ashamed of if you would have asked me 10 years ago i would not even have told you wow well i well done to you for speaking about it. i really appreciate you for talking about it and um, we're gonna finish in a minute this chat has been so quick i've enjoyed it a lot um but before we go i wanted to ask you um of course we had this conversation to like bring awareness and just open up the conversation and obviously to talk to you yeah. as well but um obviously i am not a muslim woman i'm not a practicing muslim mm -hmm. and um i think that by giving people an opportunity to have a platform like yourself in this yeah. situation to talk about these things is one of many ways that you can show your support but are there any specific things that non the non-muslim community can do to support the muslim community in an ongoing process so not just when a tragic event or um thing has happened but just in general um yeah i think do you know what so where i live is very diverse there's a lot of different cultures religions in our races we've got a very high like Jew orthodox jewish community we've got a very high muslim community we've got high sort of like afro-caribbean and um asian it's a very it's very diverse and i think integration and not being afraid so people shouldn't be afraid to ask muslims questions if they have questions or something don't be afraid to ask us we won't bite your hands off <laughs> like yeah. don't don't feel like and you know what sometimes i think a lot of people they feel embarrassed maybe you know if you've got something that you want to say or you want to speak about ask you i think a lot of people have these views from like media and stuff and then they hold on to that and they're like well i want to talk about it but i'm scared to talk about it don't be afraid do not be afraid to approach us we are generally really nice people <laughs> most, most of us i suppose everyone you know every, in every community, every there's community a few bad there eggs, a few, but yeah, yeah. there are a few bad that's normal isn't it but generally if you have questions that our mosque and stuff is always open if you have questions to speak to our imam about about our religion about anything is yeah, it um, would would an imam be welcoming to a non-muslim coming in and yes like, definitely okay. we recently had a mosque open day where the whole community not only muslim the whole community was invited to the mosque to see what we do in the mosque why we go there five times a day what we do in ramadan you know things mm -hmm. that we do in the mosque why are we go congregating here five times a day kind of why do we go here on a friday what we're doing throughout the year kind of what does the mosque offer throughout the year we have loads of programs and stuff for women as well now which has only happened over the last couple of years but non-muslims are always welcome Okay. it's not just a muslim thing and i think that's what sometimes scares people they just think or not scares but they feel a little bit left out don't feel like that go and approach and speak to someone we've got a community center that's attached to our mosque so you can always walk in there if you don't feel comfortable walking into the mosque and speaking mm -hmm. to an imam there's always someone there to be helpful to talk to you to discuss things or to you know send you in the right direction and it doesn't have to be islamic help it could be anything you can just go in there for counseling or just support from someone else amazing well thank you for talking to me and having this yeah. conversation um i think it's really important especially with our current climate and just the way that things have gone on and the fact that unfortunately there are some people in the world who still don't understand the basic things that we were talking about in this conversation yeah. and so the more that can be done and the more that can be shared and spoken about is important yeah definitely and one thing i did find with the new zealand attack is 
initially I found that I don't know this might be personal to me but I felt like not a lot of people were talking about it and that for me it really hit home a little bit because I was like there were so many of these big influencers and bloggers and do you know I'm not even talking about only non-Muslims, I'm even talking about some of the Muslim ones, like high-profile bloggers. And I was like, but why are you not discussing this more? Like, we need to talk about it, yeah. kind of. And I did really feel like that. And I don't know, maybe it was fear for them, thinking that, I don't know, maybe they thought, you know, if they talk about Islamic stuff too much in detail, they're going to lose, I don't know, contracts and stuff like that. Maybe it's a fear of that as well, because of what's attached to it. But I think, discuss it. If we don't discuss it, then our world is not going to be a better place because you need to question, you need to approach. We need an understanding of each other. And on that note, because <laughs> that was that was an amazing Sorry. last line. No, 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 that was awesome. I love that. I have literally nothing to say except for if people want to find you, where can they find you? I'm on Instagram, just with my name. And your name is S at Samia. Samia Belisaria. Okay. And your social media handle will be in all of the promo that we do for this episode so people will be able to find you thank you for talking to me i hope that you guys found my chat with samia insightful um i hope that you learned something new i definitely did um and now to close the episode you know that we always have um the story of a woman who has previously shared her experiences on the make motherhood diverse platform this week's story is by a woman who some of you actually may have heard of already, um, and she is called Nili Dahlia. I'm a British Bengali Muslim hijab-wearing mother. I'm proud of being all of those things. I started my channel, Nili Dahlia, when I wanted the Western society to see Muslim mothers are exactly the same as any other mother, that we face the same issues and struggles and that our hijab doesn't make us less of a mother. I was never approached at baby groups, never smiled at and never given a chance. Let's be honest, being the only hijabi in a predominantly white old fashioned village looking foreign is exactly why I was never approached. Motherhood at that point became so lonely. I'm very independent and I don't like asking for help so to cope, I started vlogging my life. I wanted to show people about our lives, to give us hijabi mamas a chance. I always try to get people to see how normal I am and to accept me as a mother first, because I am exactly that, a mother. And I work my ass off trying to be the best mother to my kids. I may do things differently because of my faith, but at the end of the day, whether you're Muslim, Christian, Hindu or any other faith, we're all mothers trying to raise kind and strong human beings. So let's show exactly that, the diversity in motherhood. Thank you for listening to the Make Motherhood Diverse podcast. If you'd like to find me, my social media handle is at booksbabyandback. And if you would like to be involved with this podcast, please send submissions to mmdpodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, if you'd like to engage with the Instagram and the posts on there, then you can find us on Instagram at Make Motherhood Diverse.